today, turn with me to Luke 2, beginning at verse 8. The title of the message today is, Whose Birthday Is It? 
Luke 2, beginning in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. When I was a little boy in Chattanooga, our pastor did the same thing every Christmas. I think he preached the same sermon every uh, Christmas season. And he made this point real, real strong. He said, and he, I, he was talking mostly to the youth. We had a big youth group. He said, uh, now listen, kids. He said, when you wake up on Christmas morning, first thing you do is say, Happy birthday, Jesus, because it's his day. It's not your day. It's his day, and you got to remember that. So that's the first thing that you're supposed to say. And so I grew up in that church, and I did that for about 12 years. And, uh, you know, it got to be a habit. And so as the Christmases came after that, uh, I just kind of kept doing it in college and graduate school and all along the way. When Cindy and I got married, I said, uh, darling, something I've been doing for a long time, uh, we want to dedicate this day uh, to Jesus. So if you wake up before I do, let's uh, wake each other up and say, happy birthday, Jesus, and start the day off like that. You know, this morning, I want to recommend that to you. I hope that uh, this Christmas morning, when you wake up, first thing you'll do, happy birthday, Jesus. Kind of get it on the right note to start that day. In 1858, there was a scientific expedition that passed through the part of our country that we now know as the Grand Canyon area. The young lieutenant made this entry in his report. He said, the region is altogether valueless. It can be approached only from the south. And after entering it, there is nothing to do but leave. It shall forever be unvisited and undisturbed. In 1863, when Lincoln gave his Gettysburg Address, a newspaper editor in Harrisburg wrote these words. We just pass over the silly remarks of our president. For the credit of the nation, we are willing to pull the veil of oblivion and drop it over the words that he spoke, that they shall no more be repeated or even thought of. Over 2,000 years ago, there was a baby that was born in a little hamlet called Bethlehem. And neither the Bethlehem Daily News nor the Roman reporter uh, picked up on the story. Uh, Life went on as normal, and if a reporter had asked the people of Bethlehem uh, what had happened that night, they all would have agreed in saying, well, nothing happened. 
It was just an ordinary, regular night. Well, what's the thread of continuity that ties those three stories together? It is an unawareness of and an insensitivity to the significance of that to which they were exposed. History has proven these commentators to be wrong, really wrong. For the Grand Canyon is one of the most visited sites in all of the United States. Two million people a year go by there to see it. And the Gettysburg Address has been one of the most memorized addresses ever given in this country. And that relatively unknown birth of that baby in Bethlehem has proven to be the most important event of human history. The singular event that has divided our history between B.C. and A.D. In the midst of the many who missed the significance of that first Christmas were these shepherds. They were out in the field, and they, and they alone, in the Bethlehem area, recognized the significance of that event. If you were to ask the innkeeper what Christmas meant to him, he would have said, well, what's Christmas? What is that? What are you talking about? But if you were to ask the shepherds what Christmas meant to them, they would say it was the most glorious night of our whole life. It was unbelievable. Among the local Bethlehem people, Only these shepherds saw and recognized the meaning of that first glorious day with our Savior on this earth. Well, we can point to three reasons why Christmas meant uh, so much to them. Number one, they sought Christ. How would you respond to the angelic concert on that dark Judean night? What would you say about it? Perhaps you would have responded with indifference. Well, that's a nice religious message, but we've heard a lot of religious messages, and they all sound about the same. Or we might respond with doubt. A little baby who can save us? Are you real? That's so ridiculous. You angels really must think we're gullible. Why should we believe something like that? Or we could respond with indecision. Maybe there really is a special baby in Bethlehem, but how can we know for sure? If we go to see the baby, we will be committing ourselves, and we don't have enough evidence to make that kind of commitment. We might even see it as an inconvenience. Wow, that really was a wonderful message. And if we had time... We would investigate it, but really, uh, our calendar's full. We've got a lot of appointments on the hour. We can't break away right now. I just can't shake loose uh, to check out all that. Not the shepherds. The shepherd tells us, and it came to pass when the angels had gone away from them to heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem. And see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 15. With a spirit of openness and a sense 
of urgency. The shepherds sought Christ. They went looking for him. Don't think it was easy for the shepherds to seek Christ. It was an arduous trip to the town for them. They were probably in an area that is still known to this day as the shepherd's field. It's a large area where a lot of the shepherds of that day kept their uh, sheep. It was on the south side of Bethlehem near the Dead Sea. They had to ascend a very steep slope, sort of a half mountain, if you will, to get into town. And it was somewhat risky. They had to leave their sheep. Uh, out there on the field without anybody watching them. And shepherds absolutely never did that. So this was really, really important to them. It was not easy for the shepherds to seek Christ. Yet Luke tells us they came in haste in verse 16. Arnold Toynbee has pointed out that in every ancient culture, new religious revelations almost always come first from the shepherds. Why is that? Because the nature of their work puts them alone in the outdoors, out near the simplicity of existence and away from the distractions of artificial sophistication, where they cultivated the art of of reflecting in depth upon life. Perhaps that's why God chose to announce his birth to these specific shepherds because they knew that these shepherds would seek out the Christ so that they could understand the marvelous thing that God was unfolding in their midst. If we were to discover the real meaning of Christmas today, we must seek Christ in the midst of the activities and the demands of these particular days. I went to the mall this week. Traffic was unbelievable. But the reason for the season was not in the mall. It wasn't the gifts that had been wrapped and the, and the lights that were up everywhere and the tinsel and the pretty this and the pretty that. That's not the meaning of the season. The reason for the season was at the manger. Secondly, They saw Christ. The shepherds not only sought Christ, they saw Christ. Luke tells us in verse 16, they came with haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. What do we do when we see Christmas time as it really is? Well, you know, some people uh, see the Christmas season as a time of burden. Uh, It's it's just a a hard thing for them. Uh, They see the finances that are tied up in it, and they kind of worry about that. A misprint in the church bulletin on Christmas Sunday listed the choir anthem as, I heard the bills on Christmas Day. (laughs) That's all some people can see. Others are haunted by the emptiness of the season. Christmas for them is a time for family, and part of their family is gone, never to return. And so those days are days of introspection and and days of some sadness. Some have said to me, you know, this is going to be a very, very hard time of the year for me. 
Some can see only the burden of Christmas. All the things that we enjoy about Christmas, uh, the special parties, the time with family, the delicious cuisine, the gloriously uh, lighted yards, the elaborate decorations that are up on all the homes. All of those are a lot of work for somebody. Somebody carried the burden to do all that. The hostess who had to direct the party, the mother who had to cook the food, to the families who have crowded into their cars and driven a long distance, to the individuals who hang up the lights and those who decorate the houses. Somebody told me years ago that they could hardly bear, hardly live through the Christmas season because it was so hard. To catch the meaning of Christmas, we must look through the expenses and through the loneliness and through the responsibilities, and we must see Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. We must see Christ as a special baby who fulfilled the prophecies of old and split history, really, into two ages. But our vision of Christ must go beyond that. We must see him as the Son of God, who combined in his personality all that is divine and all that is human. We must see in him the great teacher who revealed the truth about God to us. We must see him as the Savior who died on the cross to relieve us, to to rid us of the sins in our lives. We must see him as the resurrected Lord who won victory over the enemies of mankind. We must see him as the ascended king who sits on the very right hand of God Almighty. And we must see Christ. What made that night incredibly unique for the shepherds was that they literally saw Christ. Thirdly, they shared Christ. This is the the third element. The shepherds sought Christ, they saw Christ, they also shared Christ. Luke said, and when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it wondered about the things that were told to them by the shepherds. Verses 17 and 18. Christmas will take on meaning for us not by receiving but by giving, not by decorating our house with lights, but by coming into the presence of the one who is the light of all the world and then sharing that light with the world. The world is in darkness, but we have the light. This Christmas season, let's allow the light of Christ to shine through us. Today I want to share with you one of my favorite Christmas stories. It's told by a mother, a true story. We were the only family with children in the restaurant. I set Eric in a high chair and and noticed everybody else was quietly eating and talking. Suddenly, my little baby Eric squealed with glee and said, Hi there! He pounded his fat baby hands on the high chair tray. His eyes were wide with excitement. 
and his mouth was bare in a toothless grin. He wriggled and he giggled with great merriment. I looked around to see what the source of that merriment was. It was a man with a tattered rag of a coat, dirty, greasy, and well-worn. His pants were baggy, his zipper was at half-mast, and his toes poked out of his would-be shoes. His shirt was dirty, his hair was uncombed and unwashed. His whiskers were too short to be called a beard, and his nose was so varicose that it could have been a road map. We were too far from him to smell him, but I just knew that he smelled so bad. His hands waved and flapped on loose writs. Hi there, baby, he called out across the room. Hi there, big boy. I see you, buster. The man said these to Eric as loudly, evidently, as he could. My husband and I exchanged looks. What were we to do? Eric continued to laugh and to answer, Hi! Hi there! Everybody at the restaurant noticed and looked at us, and then they looked at the man. The old geezer was creating a nuisance with my beautiful baby boy. Our meal came, and the man began a shouting from across the room, Do you know Patty Cake? Do you know Peekaboo? Well, yes, look, he, he knows Peekaboo. Nobody thought the old man was cute. He was obviously drunk. My husband and I were embarrassed to death. We ate in silence, except for Eric, who was running through his repertoire for the admiring Skid Row bum, who in turn reciprocated with his remarks. We finally got through the meal and headed for the door. My husband went to pay the check, and he told me to meet him in the parking lot. The old man sat poised between me and the door. I said, Lord, just let me get out of here before he speaks to me or Eric. I just prayed that. As I drew closer to the man, I turned my back toward him, trying to sidestep him and avoid any air that he might be breathing. As I did, Eric leaned over my arm, reaching with both arms in the baby pick-me-up position. Before I could stop him, Eric had propelled himself from my arms to the man's arms. Suddenly, a very old, smelly man and a very young baby were both ultimately happy. Eric, in an act of total love and trust and submission, laid his tiny head on that man's ragged shoulder. The man's eyes closed, and, and right under his eyelashes, there were a lot of tears. His aged hands, full of grime and pain and hard labor, gently cradled my baby's bottom and stroked his back. No two beings have ever loved so deeply for so short of a time. I stood awestruck. The old man rocked and cradled Eric in his arms, 
for just a moment. And then his eyes opened and he looked squarely at me. He said in a firm, commanding voice, Now you take care of this baby boy. Somehow I managed, I will, from a throat that had a stone in it. He pried Eric from his chest unwillingly, longingly, as though he were in pain. I received my baby, and the man said, God bless you, ma'am. You've given me my Christmas gift. I said nothing more than a muttered thanks. With Eric in my arms, I literally ran for the car. My husband was wondering why I was crying and holding Eric so tightly and why I was saying, my God, my God, forgive me. I had just witnessed Christ's love shown through the innocence of a tiny child who saw no sin, who made no judgment, a child who saw a soul, and a mother who saw a suit of smelly clothes. I was a Christian who was blind, holding a child who was not. I felt it was God asking, Are you willing to share your son for just a moment when I gave up my son for all eternity? If we are to experience the true meaning of Christmas this year, we must remember whose birthday it is, and like the shepherds of old, seek Christ and see Christ and share Christ. This morning, if you're in the house and you've been thinking seriously about making a public profession of your faith, you've thought about it, this is a great time of the year at the holiday season when we focus in on Jesus to make known the testimony of your life, that you've asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins and place your faith and trust in him. Perhaps there are some here today that have been visiting with us for a period of time and you think you'd like to come and join with us and be a part of our family. The doors of the church today are wide open, and we hope, we really hope, that you'll come and join with us. We want you to serve the Lord side by side with us as we try and represent him in the marketplace of today's world. I'm going to stand right down here at the front. If the Lord leads, you just slip out and slip forward. Come down here to the front and take a stand for Jesus. You know... He took a stand for you. Let's stand and sing together.